Welcome members, visitors, and friends. So happy to have you join us for this podcast and the church said, where we discuss issues and insights on how the body and the members can interact in ways that promote spiritual, mental, emotional, and relational well-being. I am Dr. Monique Smith-Gadson, your host for this podcast. I am also a licensed clinician. However, this podcast is not intended to serve as therapy. We encourage you to engage in your own personal counseling. So come on in because the doors are open and take a seat on any pew you choose. We hope your time here will leave you declaring a hearty and resounding amen. All right. Hello, everyone. So glad to have y'all join us on today. And today I am so very honored and blessed to have a very special guest with me on today. Probably is no stranger to you, but we're welcoming Dr. Jamar Tisby here with us today. Dr. Tisby, thank hey, you for being hey. Oh, I'm so honored. Always good to speak to you. Dr. G, do your students ever call you that? Well, I usually kind of get the Dr. Mo. <laughs> oh, oh, my bad. I, I, I didn't have my cool card, Dr. Mo. I like that. Yes, sir. Well, we are so honored to have you to visit us here on today, sitting on the pew with us, if you will, and um, just having a chit and a chat. But before we jump into this conversation, will you please just introduce yourself as you want to introduce yourself um, to our listeners on today. Thank you. Yeah, I'm uh, Dr. Jamar Tisby. I'm a historian, author, and speaker. Uh, just before we press record, we we're talking about the fact that it's the beginning of the semester. I'm also a professor of history at Simmons College of Kentucky, which is a historically black college in Louisville. So uh, I've got that going on. Uh, husband, father of one, and um Formula One racing car fan and a Notre Dame college football fan. <laughs> What's that face for? <laughs> you were doing good until you got there, but all right. <laughs> Don't tell me you're a Michigan fan. No, sir. I am a roll tight fur. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> oh, goodness. I wondered how you would react to that. Yes, sir. Oh, goodness. Y'all just got done so used to winning and nothing but oh, yeah. big heads and cocky and all that stuff but go ahead with your bad self <laughs> you know, we enjoy while the ride was there and uh, you know we've slowly been descending from that place so <laughs> oh we lost one game this season every the sky is falling but anyway <laughs> well yeah that's, that's another conversation for another day yeah yeah yeah. Man, that could be, yeah that could take a whole life by itself but um yeah thank you so much for again um you know being here and um sharing with our, our listeners just a part of um, your journey and what I would like to talk with you about. And I know we've talked about what we were going to talk about, but, um, you know, there, there have been many uh, places where you've shared your story, your journey. Um, you've written two books, um, best-selling book, New York best, am I right? New York bestseller? Yeah. yeah, yeah with um, mm -hmm. Color of, yeah, Color of Complicity. Uh, am I saying that right? Color the color of compromise. compromise. Yes, yes, yes. The complicity. Yeah. So the color of compromise. Um, and where you have, you know, shared over time, and I've heard you speak on several occasions where you've shared your story 
um, being in, you know, multicultural spaces, doing the work of anti-racism, all the things, all of the things and all of the things. And um, on your podcast that you share with um, Tyler Burns, you know, I've listened to you all talk about your leave loud stories, you know, um, mm -hmm. you have had to leave various faith spaces. So I just would like for you to talk to us, your listeners, our listeners um, about that today. Just, you know, if you want to kind of give a recap about some of that. But what I really would like to just kind of focus on is, um, you know, the emotional parts of that mm -hmm. journey. Um, I've heard you talk mm -hmm. about it a little bit, you know, the isolation, the loneliness. Um, I think I've even heard you kind of use the word depression somewhere along the way. Maybe, maybe not. If I'm wrong, please correct me. Um, but I just really wanted to hear you talk about um, your journey and just um, we can kind of focus in a little bit on kind of the, the emotional effects of that journey. Well, first of all, I think probably resonates with a lot of people the idea of um pain exclusion whatever words you want to attach around it coming at the hands of church folk yeah uh, that is a story unfortunately a lot of us can relate to and you mentioned our podcast past the mic which i co-host with tyler burns our most downloaded episode in our history is actually that whole leave loud series Right. Uh, so it's mm -hmm. my story. It's Tyler Burns story. It's Ali Henny's story. Mm -hmm. And those are our most listened to podcasts in all the years that we've been doing it. So again, mm -hmm. something mm -hmm. resonates. And so I'm hoping that as I share my story, other people maybe can hear themselves in it, feel empowered to share and own their own stories, mm -hmm. um, which is another thing like uh, this is not <laughs> at all what you asked, but I think it's important to set the stage um, yeah. at the uh the Witness, a Black Christian collective, um, a nonprofit that I founded, they have uh, a conference called the Joy and Justice Conference, which I spoke at this past June 2023. The title of my talk was Our Sacred Scars. Mm -hmm. Our Sacred Scars. And the idea being that our scars tell a story. Mm -hmm. And the first story they tell is, is one of survival. Because mm -hmm. if you got a scar, that means you lived to heal from it, yeah. from, from the initial yeah. wound. Right. Um, but you know, those scars came from someplace and, and by talking about our wounds, when we're ready, when it's appropriate with people who have earned the, our trust, then that can actually be a, a, a form of empowerment, a form, a, a way to own our stories and what happened to us and not be constantly victimized by them. That's my theory. I'm not the psychologist. Um, that's just what I, sort of mm -hmm. come to discover mm -hmm. as I've told my story in parts. But this one, this this conversation that we're having is rather unique because although we may touch on the emotional aspect in other conversations, it's never really the central and the core. So I'm I'm very um eager to to <laughs> I don't even know what I'll say in this, but uh yeah, I know I'm in good hands with you. So briefly my story as it relates to Christianity, evangelicalism, is one of um, seeking community and belonging. If we can just go right to the emotional side of it. So if we can sort of transport ourselves back into high school, <laughs> we're still growing into our bodies. We're 
distancing ourselves from our parents, but we're also trying to find who's that peer group going to be. Um, I remember in high school, like e- even if you look at like these movies about high school, you walk, there's a scene inevitably where they walk into the cafeteria and the new kid is being guided by a student that's already been there for a while. And they're pointing out there's the jocks table. There's the drama kids table. There's the popular kids table. There's the mean girls table, whatever it is. Right. And inevitably they, they, they search for where to sit which is them saying, well, where do I fit? Where do I belong? Mm-hmm. Well, that was me. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, in high school, I remember just not being sure, you know, who my group was going to be, where I fit in until uh, this guy in my freshman health class, white guy, um, befriended me, started, we, we started talking, hanging out. And eventually he invited me to his youth group. And that is where I became a Christian. And it just happened to be a white evangelical youth group, which I hadn't grown up Christian, hadn't grown up practicing. I didn't know anything about the different traditions or anything. To me, it was just like, oh, this is a this is a this is a group I can hang out with. They they seem like a community that wants me there. And they seem friendly and we played games and we had fun. And so that's where I landed. And that was my real formal introduction to Christianity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've already said a mouthful. You're like, there's a lot there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, because you're absolutely right. I think about, you know, when you do talk about church and uh, yeah, that's a place where people can receive that mixed message of, you know, welcome and come as you are. and and all of the things and then as you say you can get in and you can um depending on what space you're in you can kind of quickly recognize whether you belong to use that word or not um or you can have trouble trying to find out where exactly you may belong so yeah um i think that that is um something that we do have to continue to to lift up um and that's a discussion in and of itself because uh, you know that that's real loaded, <laughs> it's nuanced yep. as as well. Um, you know, especially having worked in church spaces and, and being a counselor in a church setting. So, you know, I, I I'm trying to refrain from digging into that because <laughs> again, that's a thing all by itself. We, I'm gonna have to pay you when we go offline and then do a real session. But yeah, no, right. I mean, um. What I've also found, though, is to the degree that I have been transparent in telling my story, others have been empowered to to sort of tell their own stories as well, which mm-hmm. is something I encourage others to do again when they're ready, when it's appropriate. Mm-hmm. But it's oftentimes it's almost like it's almost like as a teacher, um, you know that a lot of students have questions, but it always takes that one to raise their hand and say, here's my question for other people to be like, oh, yeah, I had the same question, too. And in a similar sense, I think it can be like that with our testimonies where we think mm-hmm. we're the only one and then mm-hmm. somebody speaks up and is like, oh, that's my story too. Um, as a matter of fact, James Baldwin, the writer, has a quote of that effect. He says, you know, we think we're alone in our pain. We think the only ones who've ever gone through what we have. And then we start reading. <laughs> and we start right. reading about people's stories and realize we're not alone in it. So, yeah, I'm all that to say. If you need to probe a little bit, I know when to pull back. That's fine. But if it'll be helpful, then, you know, let's do it. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm, and I was just thinking too, even as you were speaking about that and so grateful, you know, that people, you know, depending on how you all received the feedback about this is a very helpful podcast series or episodes that you all had done. Yeah, I do think about the necessity of creating those spaces for people to be able to share, you know, those stories and to be able to say, you know, this was my journey. And I totally agree with you. I do believe that there is something empowering when we do own our own narrative. Um, It's kind of what I say, even when I talk about people, um, I had the opportunity to co-write with um, Dr. Clarence Schuler in a book, Finding Hope in, Mm. in a Dark Place. And that was one of the things that I talked about with people having to kind of acquaint themselves with depression, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and relate to like enter, engage in this relationship with depression. Like, what is this trying to tell me? Um, and when it, when you, when some people, depending on circumstances, of course, um, can in, engage it in that manner, then it might not seem as looming, you know, as daunting as it could be just to say, oh, you know, there's depression out there. So totally understand and get exactly what you are saying and and can really believe in and can see even how um, that has been the meaning that has been ascribed to your journey, you know, as you have found yourself kind of coming out of it, if you will, Um, and grateful for you to be at this kind of place where you're kind of looking back, reflecting and kind of sharing with us a little bit about, um, you know, your experiences. But I do want to touch on that just in terms of the 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 feelings you know the um the isolation I think that mm-hmm. um you know again I've heard you talk about it in different settings from various perspectives and 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 I'm pretty sure it's the therapist in me but I I always say that I um I wish that at certain places of of your um, narrative there would be you know just a, a pause. And just an honor, mm-hmm. you know, of some of those um, emotions and some of those experiences that you you had spoken about. And so that's just one of the things that I wanted to, to be able to do is just to honor that part, you know, mm-hmm. of your journey. I think that, you know, um, it's it's been told, it's been spoken, but I've wondered, has it has it been um, just kind of highlighted, you know, given kind mm-hmm. of a sacredness to it? I'm I'm one that truly believes that the emotions are kind of sacred messengers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I just think it's just a sacred part of your story that I would just love okay. to have you to, you know, however you so desire to kind of share about how you would you you felt during certain parts of that. And even if that means you have to kind of retell some parts of it to to get to some of how you were feeling, you know, um, it's so so up to you. But um yeah, I would just love to hear you talk about that. A relatively recent revelation for me, finding in my story is that a lot of what drives my racial justice work, particularly in relation to the church, derives not from having such a negative experience of Christian community early on, but mm-hmm. having such a positive experience of it, mm-hmm. by and large. Mm-hmm. So going back to high school, uh, that youth group was really 
one of the first times I ever felt a sense of um, belonging, a sense of having a friend group that wasn't uh, me really depending on someone else's popularity and they're just kind of bringing me in kind of a thing, a sense of being valued just for who I am and just for showing up, right? And and again, we had fun, um, but to the extent that I ever felt not part of the group, it was due to race. And by that, I don't mean people were running around and saying, oh, we don't want to play with you or we don't like you. Your skin is brown. That's not how it manifested. How it showed up was, number one, through silence. So... Anything that would have been familiar to me as a black person with my experiences and culture, it, it, it may as well not have existed in these circles. And mind you, I'm also going not just to the youth group, but to the white non-denominational church that's also attached to it. So so that's begin, beginning like my church worship congregational experience as well. And so you could look at the songs, the song style, the sermons, the topics, the applications, the music, any of it, you're right. Like it, 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 it was like black people didn't exist. <laughs> and I was like, huh, well, it ain't that interesting. Cause our high school wasn't like that. And our town wasn't like that, but this church was, and then it also showed up in other, you know, more social ways, right? Like you're the black kid. Oh, do that dance. What are the music? What are the lyrics to that rap song? Um, dating. It was like, you could tell and far, far worse for black women in those circles. But even as a, a black male, it was pretty clear <laughs> there were some ladies in there whose daddies or parents wouldn't want me <laughs> coming, you know, to take their daughter out to prom or something like that. So so all of those messages were also getting communicated, but it was being mediated through these Christian circles um, and so that made an impression. And so one of the things that I think actually drives my work is, is wanting to reduce racism as a barrier to belonging, which is what I had felt mm -hmm. is that, oh, I can get this close, but not any closer as far as being in truly in and belonging in these groups. Um, and again, I have great relationships great memories of the folks there they didn't know a lot of it you know a lot of it was the ignorance that comes through this separation of people um where they don't know what they don't know but yeah that left a real impression on me mm -hmm, mm -hmm. oh my yeah um when you were just you were recounting that it was so vivid in my mind i felt like i could just see pictures you know and i have no frame uh -huh. of reference of it but i mean it was just uh yeah um so i love when you said that your work is driven by the positive experiences that you had um that might be a little surprising to some people but um i'm mm -hmm. so happy to hear that um because I so often think about, you know, and have sat with um, several folk um, over the decades who are still not certain of what to do with um, their, their their church hurt, their spiritual abuse, um, mm. and and we are speaking specifically in the with the context in the context of race, 
because it's it, it happens, you know, uh, happens in black churches um, by black folk, you know, to black folk, mm-hmm. but kind of taking your story here. Um, so there, there are still people who don't necessarily know what to do with their experiences. You know, they're still reeling from it. Um, can't quite, I guess for lack of better words, kind of get on the other side of it, if you will. Um, can you talk a little bit about about that? Even though your your work is you're you're looking, you're seeking to reduce this barrier, to to eliminate this barrier, really, um, of race to to people belonging in, you know, specifically in church spaces. Um, what what would you say to those individuals who are still struggling? Um, what parts of your journey, you know, some of that emotional experience that you can pull from that would help you to be able to kind of speak to when a person is still, you know, kind of there. Bring it back to Jesus. And I know how that sounds. It sounds super religious and spiritual and all that. And I promise you that is not how I mean it. The way I mean it is um, the times when I have felt most refreshed, most relieved, especially when I'm sort of down in the doldrums, really discouraged by um, the way other Christians are acting, especially around race. What has lifted me up is returning to the simple, profound true life and teachings of this poor carpenter from Nazareth. Isn't it remarkable that, that, that as we think about Jesus, every faith tradition respects what he taught and the way he lived. They may not believe he's the Messiah. They may not believe he was supernatural even, but -hmm. the way he treated people and and when we go back and read some of these stories about how treat how Jesus treated the outcast, how he treated the lonely and the lost and the leper and the people who the rest of society said, don't hang out with them, don't get near them. That's we become those people. We feel the outcast, we feel the loneliness. And then we see how Jesus actually comes alongside these people, not just in the Bible, it, it happens, but actually to us. And then we, we say he, he's so tender with us, gracious and patient, and he truly sees us. And I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about how Jesus and focusing on the person and work of Jesus, apart from all of these religious traditions and the baggage that, that can come with church and and all of that, how, how how the core of our faith is not actually just a set of propositions to believe. The core of our faith is not even obedience to certain rules. The core of our faith is a person. And 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 what has refreshed me the most is remembering and reminding. And sometimes I need other people to help me do that. That 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 it's really truly starts with ends with is surrounded by Jesus. And then when we can focus on that allows us to pull back a little bit and simplify it because 
our faith life and our walk and our relationships with people can get so cluttered and so complicated. It can be hard to sort out, especially when you're feeling discouraged. And that always brings me back, just focus on, just always kind of brings me back to center. It's like a deep spiritual breath, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, so I know, you know, there's a lot of other things I could say around self-care and um, habits and practices. And, and we can definitely talk about that. But, you know, really and truly, as I think about what has kept me in the faith, even as I've left certain parts of the church, certain parts of the Christian tradition, what has kept me in the faith and kept me a Christian is this Jesus guy. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need to focus on sometimes, a lot of the times, all of the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, I definitely agree with you there. I so often you think about, you know, Jesus wrestling in the garden and, you know, he did not hold back what he was feeling. I mean, you know, and I, I think that that was one of the things that drew me um, closer, as you say, um, to Jesus is the, the times when I grew up struggling, you know, just, yeah, I'm PK. And so that's a whole mm thing in and of it so <laughs> and i'm gonna stay right here because you know again i can take a life of its own but um but for me part of that experience um you know uh stirred lots of feelings you know within me um you talk about the discouragement i, I could name anxiety i can name um, depression. I can name betrayal. I can name um, rejection. You know, I, I can name those those very real um, and sometimes all-consuming feelings. And it really wasn't until you know by the power of the Holy Spirit, seeing literally like seeing Jesus in the garden and wrestling with mm -hmm. you know those emotions is what drew me closer because where I guess sometimes I would feel the message would be um a little bit different than not belonging because of race but not belonging because of you know you don't keep it positive all of the time <laughs> or you know mm -hmm. you you mentioned that these things do cause discouragement and these things are you know, upsetting. And um, it's just not easy for me to just kind of sweep over it, you know, and just trying to talk to somebody about it. That I felt a sense of um, being excluded at times because I, I didn't, you know, just kind of keep it on the positive, if you will, you mm. know, uh, I didn't, spiritualize things away and it was go. until i was able to recognize that oh here are my very real and raw emotions and it doesn't it doesn't frighten jesus away you know it doesn't mm -hmm. scare him away if anything it's what he even uses to bid me to come you know you're mm -hmm. weary come <laughs> you know um as opposed to sometimes the the feeling and or message that you know either was um indirectly or directly communicated um so when you talk about going going to Jesus it 
mean just kind of naming some of those feelings. What what would have been some of those that you would have experienced during this time? Can you can you name those? Because I do wonder, like you say, what people resonate. <laughs> you know, they can say, mm-hmm. yeah, that's how I feel. Um, would you be able to just kind of name some of those that you were able to kind of bring Jesus yourself? Well, I go back to, and I'm dwelling a lot on these high school years because they were quite formative. They were foundational, really, Mm -hmm. in in my walk, in my understanding of religion and also of race more broadly. They were pretty Mm -hmm. foundational, even though I didn't know it at the time. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I wish would have happened in those teenage years and my early walk in uh, the faith was if a white leader had pulled me aside and said, hey, man, um, you know, we're just going to be honest here. We don't have a lot of racial diversity in our Mm -hmm. group. I just wanted to check in, see how you're doing. Is there anything we could do differently or better? 90% chance I would have not had, I would have not known what to say. I I, I would Mm -hmm. not have been as self-aware at the time to know, oh yeah, you need to do X, Y, Z differently. But, but I would have felt seen. And a lot of what I felt as far as an emotion was um, looked over uh, a sense of not complete invisibility, but maybe translucent, you know, where they, they recognized me as a presence, but they didn't recognize the the full substance of my being because they weren't talking about race. And my hunch was like with many well-meaning white evangelicals, the way to address race is not to address it mm-hmm. <laughs> because they don't want to make it a thing. They want to say the wrong thing. They don't want to single you out, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but I all but 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 even as as I felt somewhat translucent, I also still felt a little bit singled out, right? Like again, it was convenient to take the people of color and sort of foreground them when it was convenient. And so I became part of the leadership team at that youth group pretty quickly, uh, within about a year or so, I think. And partly that was because I was all in, I was passionate, it was real, they saw that. But it also didn't hurt that they could say, hey, we have a, a black student leader, which I was, it was like me, and then there was a, a biracial guy. And I think that was pretty much it on on the leadership team or even as like regular attenders um at mm-hmm. the group. So and then and we do stuff at the church too. Like I remember uh giving speeches and um you know just going up and presenting and, and things like that. Well it never hurts in this mm-hmm. that's not the only reason I'm sure but uh, you know <laughs> they're probably a little bit proud. Hey look at mm-hmm. this you know we're on mm-hmm. the right track. So mm-hmm. so at the same time where I didn't felt feel fully seen they did see my race when it sort of was beneficial to them. Mm-hmm. And again, not saying this was malicious intent on anyone's part, but even though it's ignorant, it can still be hurtful. Yeah. Um. So, so, so that's a, a little bit of what I experienced it, but then, you know, I still, that's just a few years. And then I go to college and that's a whole different thing because now I am truly in an, in, in, in a sort of, wraparound environment that is white so in high school i could go out into the hallway at school i could go out into my town and it's black people it's latinos and latinas and we're the majority but now i go to undergrad at the university of notre dame 
and we are a hyper minority. And not only that, I didn't fit in with the black people. You want to get really real because most of the black people there were scholarship athletes. And as as athletic as I like to think of myself, I was not a D1 scholarship athlete <laughs> in mm-hmm, anything. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So they all had a ready-made community is what I'm saying. Um, you know, they would travel together mm-hmm. and, and, and play together and then socialize together. And even if you were black, if you didn't have all those hours and hours and hours and hours together with them because you were in the same sport or in athletics, you didn't fit in. Um, so, so I was the only black guy on my whole floor in the dorm. Mm. And I remember, you know, just feeling so out of place because not only was I the only black person, I was, I was, I was one of the only Protestant people at this Catholic school. It's 85% Mm. Catholic when I was there. So most of these guys are talking about popes whose ne- whose names I never heard of, cardinals who I didn't even know what those were or, or who they were. They were talking about teachings from the Roman Catholic Church. We, we would go to mass and they would know all the motions. Now, mind you, I went to Catholic school K through eight, so it wasn't completely unfamiliar, but they mm-hmm. were cradle Catholics, as they called themselves. Mm-hmm. And they had a depth of knowledge and insight that I just didn't have. So that was yet another intersection of race and religion that made me feel excluded. And this time I really did feel excluded right like it really was like you Mm -hmm. are different Mm -hmm. um in in virtually every way so so that continued it and i got exposed to this thing called reformed theology which is even whiter than white evangelicalism uh so i don't it's a story only god could write because i'm like how god did i get surrounded by all these white folk (laughs) here we are (laughs) yeah oh my goodness yeah, it's interesting that you even tell that because I'm I'm just tracing this theme like throughout your life, like, oh wow, here comes this, you know, where do I belong again? You know, just like where where is here I am, you know, faced with this question <laughs> again, like where do I I belong? Um, and I'm just gonna kind of pull that that thread there and and kind of bring you to present day, maybe a few years ago. And yeah. um can you just even talk about how thinking that you were in a community where you belonged and how, you know, here I am again being faced with maybe I really don't, you know, and Ooh, what did that generate? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and what did that generate within you um, in terms of how, how you had felt? So the word that most frequently comes to mind in my entire, well, in my more recent adult journey, the word that most frequently comes to mind is the word betrayal. Mm-hmm. And and you really captured the words there because um, I was just making a note to myself. I felt a sense of betrayal because I thought I belonged. Oh. Mm-hmm. There was every indication on the front end that I belonged Mm -hmm. and was included. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. then I start talking about race in a particular way. And it turns out I'm not as included as I thought I was. And as a matter of fact, I was excluded. And it feels like a sense of betrayal because they put on a good show. (laughs) This is what I need folks to understand. There's a lot of black folks that, that, that would look at my story because they were raised in a black church or, or or in predominantly black environments. And they're like, why would you 
ever think that you belonged in these spaces um because they made you think that <laughs> like, mm-hmm, that's that's what mm-hmm. they sold mm-hmm. and again i'm not accusing anyone of malicious intent but mm-hmm. i'm just saying like at the front end whether it was seminary whether it was a church whether it was a group or a bible study whatever what did they do they were friendly towards you they gave you opportunities for leadership um i got scholarships i got um you know recognition i got brought into inner circles um all of the things you would want to happen all of the things that would make you feel special Mm-hmm. They were perfectly fine extending that until not just my presence, but my words and my actions threatened to disrupt mm-hmm. uh, their their arrangement with each other, uh, particularly mm-hmm. along racial lines, right? And then whether it was race and politics or race in the gospel, like people like to separate those, and it shouldn't be in terms of racial justice, I mean. Um, whatever it was, whatever their issue was, they the attitude was, we own this space, whether that's a church or congregational space, a denomination, a nonprofit, a parish church, an educational environment. We own this space in the sense that we craft it. We say what goes. We say what's right. We say what's permissible. And when you violate that, mm-hmm. then our largesse, our generosity, our inviting you into this space that ends really quickly so the hard part is it's like whiplash you know you were thinking you were on one page with this person or this group and then just like that the whole script flips and you're like wait a minute i thought we had an understanding right is another is one thing if you go into a situation knowing they're opposed knowing they don't want you that is not the case with my story. I went into situations with every indication that they wanted me there. But again, they wanted a trans they want a translucent version of me and not the full substantive version of me, which would include my racial and ethnic and cultural background. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, sounds like your memoir from belonging to betrayal, you know. Um, <laughs> but we had to figure out what's that upswing, what's that that word would be there. Um, wow. Thank you. Thank you so much for oh, just sharing that so authentically. I, and I guess I wonder because for most people, so I don't want to assume this would be you, but I'll, so I'll form it as a question. Um, you know, when we have difficult experiences and we, um, you know, we do have feelings such as, okay, I've been betrayed here. (laughs) It's hard sometimes to contain that and just say, oh, you know, over here, I'm feeling, you know, Mm. I've I've been betrayed. Um, And, you know, you can kind of move through other aspects of life and just say, oh, it's contained over there. If only, (laughs) you know, if only it were that Mm. simple. Now, you know, we can do some things and we can, you know, um, you can engage a bit of denial, you know, a bit of avoidance, a um, whole lot of minimizing, all of the things to kind of numb the effect, you know, and to, to um, 
almost collude in, um, with ourselves to, to believe right. like, oh, you know, it's just over there. It's, it doesn't, you know, it's not impacting me anywhere else. But I, I am wondering, where did you see that spill over? Or could you see that spilling over like in other parts of your life? Just that feeling of betrayal and like, what did that do? My, my, my. Yes, uh, I did. <laughs> I think, I think um, this sense of betrayal has made it really hard to trust people in general. Really hard to let people in, mm -hmm. people who I already know, and really, really hard to establish new relationships, whether that be professional or friendships uh, or what have you, because I've had so many experiences where I felt close to a person or a group and it turned out to be a place of betrayal. Um, and so, you know, I, I, the, the other part of this is, you know, I mentioned before the betrayal felt so acute because I thought I belonged. The other reason the betrayal feels so acute is because I go all in on the stuff I get involved in. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. everything that I was doing was mission driven, was a bigger purpose, a bigger cause. I would sacrifice money and time and energy for it so when i started seminary i could have just been a seminary student <laughs> like the vast majority of my peers but i didn't do that i went in i worked in the admissions office i started the african-american leadership initiative i led events and programs at the school I went way deeper because to me, it was about something bigger. It was about, you know, diversifying the student body. It was about uh, how do you train up folks while they're in seminary to be the next generation of racial justice leaders, all of that stuff. When I was in church, I was under, this is one of the things that I really still need to process. I was deep into it. I was an intern at my church. I was what they call under care, which meant you were in the formal process of becoming ordained. Um, I thought I was going to be a pastor. And within a matter of months, um, it, it, it completely shifted and said, this is, you know, whatever Christian tradition and denomination I was familiar with, I cannot thrive in this environment because of my stances for racial justice, right? It wasn't like I had done something wrong per se. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so, but I had thrown myself into that as well. Like I, even as an intern, I'm preaching at different places. I am uh, helping to lead at, at, at church. I helped revive our churches, small groups, you know, all of these things that went way beyond what was required. So I also felt that sense of betrayal because I absolutely poured myself into these communities. Um, so that was was part of it. And then I forget your question because I just like everything you say is like bringing up other stuff. So, um, yes, but I want to answer your question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was just asking. I think you did. Um, how has it impacted the other aspects of your life? Right. And so it yeah, sounds yeah, yeah. as though you are saying that there still are some of those like lingering effects of what you absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, part of it is getting older and whatever is, you know, the adults, it, it tends to be a little bit more uphill to make new friends um, when you get older. But yeah, there's also a hesitancy in me 
to even want to do that because especially if they're, if you're white like it's just that i've been you know just bamboozled <laughs> so and it's also here's another thing i would say this is especially true in the trump era and the covid era so with trump you know the the devotion to him has become so unbending that there are a lot of white folks who I'm afraid that if we start talking about certain topics, like anything other than like sports or the weather, you know, you're going to get into they're this MAGA whatever, right? And and the policies they're supporting are are just diametrically opposed to you know true democracy and multiracial democracy and all that stuff. So that and and then I mentioned COVID because you remember when that wearing a mask or not wearing a mask was a political statement. And I remember I hated knowing that much about someone just from looking at their face. Like in that case, ignorance was a little bit better, you know, maybe not bliss, but a little bit better that that we didn't have to automatically be at odds just from you chose not to wear a mask. I chose to wear a mask. And mm -hmm. and that tells me a lot about our political beliefs and, and what we choose to believe. So all of that has very much put me on guard. Even like if I'm on a plane and there's somebody next to me and they ask me what I do. Ooh, mm -hmm. I don't know what I can tell you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So I usually I, I usually just say I'm a professor. Mm -hmm. I teach history. Oh, what 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 history do you teach? U.S. history. Oh, what history? Do you teach? Now, if they keep pressing, I'm gonna tell them. Yeah, but I don't know how you gonna react. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I, and I think that that was just, you know, what I really wanted people to just hear and to understand that, you know. God is gracious, you know, he, he's faithful. Um, he keeps us all of the good things that we can say, and we, we can still suffer from, you know, the effects of some of the things. It doesn't have to necessarily rule our lives, you know, mm -hmm. but um, it's interesting when you talk about, you know, the sacred scar, it's, you know, like I, I would tell people, I remember I had a burn on my wrist for years um, from taking out, I think I was baking bread out of the oven when I was younger <laughs> and, um, you know, had a um, a really bad burn. And so, you know, the wound, like you say, the wound was, you know, it took a long time for the wound in and of itself, in of itself to heal, but um, the scar. And so when people would see it, they would say like, oh my goodness, what happened? And I would tell it. And when I would tell them what happened, I mean, it's like I could feel what happened. I could feel the pain, mm. you know, of what happened because it was just that bad of a burn. So I um, appreciate you even massaging this area, if you will, and kind of extracting some of those emotions um and even talking about some of the lingering effects you know thereof mm -hmm. um just to let people know that you know i i think that sometimes we mistake 
the work that we do for the Lord, or like even, you know, like you, you're saying greater good, um, we can be passionate about it, but that doesn't mean that we don't get wounded, <laughs> you know, at times yeah. from doing that work. No, that's right. um, I was just talking with a couple of colleagues um, a couple of days ago, and they they actually, um, two white gentlemen had chosen to sit with me in the this space to even record a conversation um, as well. And, um, you know, them talking about how aware they were of what it cost me to sit mm. with it, to be a part, you know, of, of the institution that we all work for, um, to, to, be invited even into social spaces, you know, with them, they, they were just very aware of, um, what it costs. And, and, um, and I tell them, yeah, because if I, if it were up to me, I, I probably would not know them. I would probably say no, <laughs> but, you know, as, um, a wise mentor said to me, you messed around and you had to pray about it. I'm like, uh, yeah, I did, you know, and just felt a, a strong um, sense of I'm sending you, you know, I want you to go. And so, um, yeah, so we can, we can, we can be obedient. We can be passionate about what we're doing. I mean, I, I think most of us want to obey what the Lord is asking of us to do, even, you know, the hard stuff. We may not understand it, but we have a desire to obey, you know, obey the Lord. But there, there, it comes with a cost, you yeah. know, it comes yeah, with a cost. Does. And, and I, I so often want to make sure that people count the emotional cost, because I think sometimes that can be an easy one to overlook. Because again, it's easy for us to do things to kind of busy ourselves away from that and kind of numb that out and numb that away and might not be as aware as the um, toll that that is taking on us. But mm. it um, it's there, you know, it's there. And I'm just so grateful that you were willing to share that with us to say, you know, that you can trace this back to, you know, the days of high school. And there is also a thread that um, continues to follow you, um, a lingering effect, if you will, from um, your journey and even how it continues to impact you today. I just don't want that to get a lot of. I so appreciate that. And um, honestly, it was some self-discovery in, in, in this time together where uh, I'm able to uh, put into words some some different things that I hadn't been able to before. So I thank you. That mm. will definitely be showing up <laughs> in my work and uh, self-work and also public work. But I'll also say this. A lot of people want to sort of um, ask the question, well, 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 how do we continue? How do we go on? How do we get better? How do mm -hmm. Obviously, I don't have all the answers, but I can say that it is remarkable how the smallest gesture can engender hope. Yes. And I'll give you one example. Um, I remember the night uh, of the November 2016 election. Some people celebrated. 81% of white evangelicals who voted were celebrating because that's who they voted for, who won. People like me were lamenting. 
because we had seen a pattern. This wasn't just political partisanship. We're looking at actions over decades and saw a pattern of racism, misogyny, xenophobia, all these things that we're working against. And so I was not feeling great. And, and more than that, I was very dismayed by what, by how Christians had supported this candidate and by what the, the blowback that I got for not supporting him, right? Uh, because it was this, as if you didn't vote for this person, you weren't being a good Christian or you couldn't possibly be a Christian and vote for the other party, all of that stuff. But here's where the encouragement came in. So I was feeling not only betrayed, but extremely isolated in the immediate days after that election. And I'll never forget, I got a text message from my pastor. And he just said, hey, how are you holding up? Mm. Like he knew, he knew mm -hmm. how... He knew what I did. He knew how heavy this weighed on me. He knew some of the blowback, although not much of it, that I'd already gotten. And all he did, send a text message. And I tell you what, that one message probably did more than anything in that season to restore my hope and faith in Christianity, in the church. And it wasn't just, wasn't but, you know, a couple of taps on a smartphone that did it. So as difficult as this work is, as heavy as the emotions can be, um, light can shine through in the smallest of gestures. And it's one of those things where we just got to check on each other and check in with each other. I had a guy text me today. He said, man, I'm dedicating this time each day to praying for you. How can I pray for you? And I was like, it's mind blowing. Like how mm -hmm. like a, a, another human being who's mm -hmm. not even like biologically related to me, but is spiritually a sibling would have that much care and concern for me and let me know. And that's just like, mm -hmm. like those are the kinds of things where, you know, the body really builds one another up. And, and I just want to encourage folks. It doesn't take some dramatic act. You don't have to have a president sign a law. You don't have <laughs> to have a million dollars, right? It, it can mm. just be that love, care, and concern that helps people feel seen that that can really keep them going. Yeah. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. I know I find myself saying that to students all of the time when I'm trying to encourage them to have difficult conversations and there's this paralysis, you know, of not wanting to say the wrong thing and I've got to get it right. I don't want to hurt anybody and, you know, all of the things. But I, I tell them all of the time, I'm not asking you to save the world. I'm just <laughs> asking what's the next step in towards someone else that you can take. That's all I'm asking. So thank you for sharing that. Um, thank you from sh for sharing from your heart. Um, it was, and I was, right before you said that I was going to ask, um, we're getting ready to close out. Was there anything that you wanted to, um, you know, share that we had not spoken about, but you know, I don't know if you want to add anything else. I don't know if that was beautiful. That was all right. I love that though. I love that. Yeah. Anything else that you yeah, want to no, say? I know great. I want to get back to your self-care, but you but you do have a regimen of self-care too that you do. Oh my goodness, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Like that's essential. I've I've learned and, and again, this was during COVID when I think a lot of us had a chance to really reflect on life and but also what we needed. I needed to get outside and walk. Mm -hmm. Um so you know, during 
quarantine and all that stuff that we we literally were not supposed to have contact with other people. So one of the only, you know, activities available was walking outdoors in solitude. And mm-hmm. what I discovered, which many people already knew, but what, what I discovered in a really new way and profound way was um, the necessity of a moving your body because mm-hmm. we are mind, body, soul, and we can't isolate one from the other. It's all connected. Mm-hmm. And number mm-hmm. two, being out in nature, sometimes it was cold, sometimes it was sweltering hot, sometimes it was rainy, sometimes it was cloudy, but just being closer to God's unadulterated creation did something to my soul. Um, so that is something I continue to this day, along with just general physical activity. And I'm not, you know, some fitness, whatever, but I'm just mm-hmm. like everyday moving. Mm-hmm. And I don't even call it excellent, just moving. That's right. um, the other thing is um, I had to learn and I'm still learning how to play. Mm-hmm. So Mm-hmm. again I, I mentioned how i go all in on stuff and there's a mm-hmm. and i enjoy it so i can easily be work 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 all the time so much so that i don't even know how to stop how to shut down and if i do what what is recreational literally recreating mm-hmm. for me what kind of activities mm-hmm. recreate mm-hmm. mind body and soul for me mm-hmm. i'm still learning that and mm-hmm. and learning that um recreation is productive Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. It, it, it it's not work that somebody's going to pay you for necessarily but it is productive in the sense that it restores you and so what does that look like that could look like uh watching a formula one race on on sunday mm-hmm. uh afternoon it could look like it really could look like a good meal and a good conversation with someone i trust it mm-hmm. could look like um it could look like uh you know, learning a foreign language. It could look like mm-hmm. a lot of different things that just mm-hmm. bring you joy mm-hmm. independent of being mm-hmm. productive for something or someone else. Um, and it takes a lot of work, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes a lot of decolonizing <laughs> um, to figure out how to do that. And and I'm still yes. trying to figure it out. But but seeing that as a sacred pursuit is, is even just having that mental attitude toward it is helpful too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah thank you so much for sharing that oh i just appreciate you so much and um just continue likewise god's blessings upon you as you um continue to press forward toward that mark of this higher calling um I, I just I appreciate you and thank you so so much for just sharing of yourself with us here on today. And if you will, do you want to just share with people how they can um, stay in contact with you so they'll know what you're doing? Jamar Tisby. Substack.com. Something like that. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah, yeah. where I'm going at. Follow mm-hmm. my Substack, and it's a way to support if you want to become a paid subscriber for just seven dollars a month. That's all my latest thinking around race and justice and faith and all of that stuff. Um, that's jamartisby.substack.com. And you can go to jamartisby.com to book me for speaking or to find uh, my books, uh, How to Fight Racism, Color of Compromise, How to Fight Racism, Young Readers Edition, all in one spot or wherever books are sold. And I'm still on the socials at Jamar Tisby. Awesome. Thank you so, so much, my friend. Well, I appreciate you and to our listeners, my goodness, I know you have been blessed. We have a lot to, to resonate with, think about that Jamar has shared with us on today. So 
I'm not even going to attempt to recap what he has said. All I'm just going to say <laughs> is that you've heard his call. You've heard it because there's a calling in what he has shared with us today. And what will be your response? And the church said, 